Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rainbow Mormon Podcast, where we discuss LGBT issues within Mormonism. I'm your host, Danny Caldwell. Today is June 10th, 2019, and this is episode 11. I just want to say, I'm actually running a little behind on this episode, but I just want to say to everyone, happy Pride. This is Pride Month, the month of June, and so I think it would be important to talk about that a little bit. But before we dive into that, just if you have any questions, comments, concerns, if you just want to reach out and say hi, please send me an email. Email address is rainbowmormon at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook at Rainbow Mormon Podcast. Uh, Please go on and like that. I don't know why, but I just get really excited when I see people liking Rainbow Mormon Podcast on uh, Facebook. So um, I post a lot of other little things, my thoughts, those kinds of things on there. So please go on there, like it, um, share the podcast, things I want to get this out there. There's a lot of things that I think need to be talked about, and this is my way of being able to get some of that information out there. Also, these podcasts are run off of donations, so um, if you can spare anything um, on each of the podcast descriptions, you can find underneath them um, a place to make a donation. And also, if you go to the podcast website, uh, rainbowmormon.org, you can find a donation tab there as well. Please go, if you can, make a donation, um, share the podcast, let's get the word, word out there. So today, what I wanted to talk about, as I said, it's Pride Month. And, you know, what, what is pride? People talk about gay pride, LGBT pride, and honestly, to me, before I, you know, came out, when I was still active in the church, I kind of saw pride as being like this bad thing. It was, I don't know, it was something scary. I never went to a pride parade, never went to a pride event. I remember a professor when I was in my master's program, telling us that we could get extra credit if we went and helped out uh, at the gay pride parade. And I remember being really upset by that and really bothered by that, Um, which I actually now offer extra credit for my students to go to pride, (laughs) which is kind of funny. I feel a bit hypocritical, but I I definitely have changed a lot. But you know, why, why did I think it was this dirty, awful, bad thing? So I want to talk about that, Uh, but before that, I want to talk a little bit about what Pride is, why why it started, why is June Pride Month? So the first Pride parade or Pride event was in 1970, Um, but it was commemorating something that happened the year previously. It wasn't called Pride at that time, but in uh, June of 1969, there was a riot that took place and these have been known as the Stonewall Riots, sometimes called the Stonewall Uprising um, or the Stonewall Rebellion. And this was a situation that happened in in Manhattan in a place called uh, Greenwich Village in New York City. The Stonewall Inn was a bar in this area and it was a place that was LGBT friendly and it was a place where gay people could come together and, and meet each other. But there were several uprisings that took place over a couple days, a couple of violent demonstrations that became known as the Stonewall Riots. They're considered to be some of the most important events leading to gay rights and gay liberation movement that we see today and you know the modern fight for LGBT rights in the United States. So I just want to tell you a little bit about that. And throughout this, I'm going to just 
kind of telling the story, but there's going to be a few times where I'm going to stop and read some things. My source is the Stonewall Riots from Wikipedia. So if you're curious where some of these are coming from, that's where I'm getting them. Um, there's going to be a few quotes and those things that I will let you know. But going, going back to, you know, what was the climate back then? I mean, we live in a very different world than it was in 1969. Gay people were not out, and those that were were discriminated against pretty significantly. It's kind of interesting. There is a, you can find it on YouTube. I may do a podcast on it these days, but there's an old public service announcement from the 1950s, 1960s. It's called Boys Beware. And it's basically a telling boys to beware of the homosexual because the homosexual has a disease that he that's contagious and that he will come and kidnap young boys, manipulate them, and coerce them to have sex with him. This is just a short little clip of that video. What Jimmy didn't know was that Ralph was sick, a sickness that was not visible like smallpox but no less dangerous and contagious, a sickness of the mind. You see, Ralph was a homosexual, a person who demands an intimate relationship with members of their own sex. So that's kind of the climate that this was all happening in. Um, so because of that, um, in the 1950s and 60s, there were very few establishments that welcomed um, openly gay people into them. But this, um, but the Stonewall Inn, it was owned by the Mafia, actually, but it catered to um, a lot of different people. And it was, but it was known to be a popular among the poorest and most marginalized of the gay community. This is where they congregated. They felt safe there. And in this time, police raids on gay bars were pretty common. But in this particular situation, um, the officers lost control of what happened at Stonewall. So the Stonewall Inn was the only bar for gay men in New York City where dancing was allowed. And dancing was the main draw since it reopened as, as a gay bar. If you've been to a gay club, dancing is a huge part of that. So this was a place where gay men could dance. They could dance with each other. They had things in place to keep people safe because homosexuality was illegal. And for men to dress like women was illegal. For women to dress like men was illegal. You know, they had different protocols in place. You know, police were spotted. Um, regular white lights were to turn on, would signal to everyone to stop dancing and stop touching. And they would all just kind of go back to interacting without touching or showing any kind of affection. Sometimes they would switch to, you know, men would start dancing with women, vice versa. It's very similar and kind of kind of creepy, but it's, it's very similar to, if you know anything about um, some of the swing clubs in... Nazi Germany back in 1940s. They would have signals that they would change the music and start dancing to uh, more German music because swing dance and swing music was, was illegal. But these raids on the bar were frequent. They happened about once a month. During these typical raids, lights would be turned on and customers would be lined up and asked to show their ID. And those without ID or those dressed in full drag would be arrested and others were allowed to leave, but they would close close the bar. R women in the bar were required to be wearing at least three pieces of feminine clothing and would be arrested if found not wearing them. Employees and managers of the bar were also arrested a lot of times. Um, a lot of times the police would raid it, they'd take all the alcohol. Usually they had alcohol hidden in the floors or behind the walls, and so once the police left, they would bring out the alcohol and reopen the bar and things would start again. But on June 28th, 
the raid didn't go as planned. So at about 1.20 a.m. on Saturday, June 28, 1969, four plainclothed policemen in dark suits, two patrol officers in uniform, and Detective Charles Smythe and Deputy Inspector Seymour Pine arrived at the Stonewall Inn's double doors and announced, Police! We're taking the place. Historian David Carter deduced that the police were had been receiving kickbacks by blackmailing different patrons, um, wealthy people who worked in the financial district. The police started to realize that they weren't going to be able to get these kickbacks from blackmail. And they decided to close Stonewall permanently. That was the plan that night. So in addition to the police officers I mentioned, two undercover police women and two undercover police men had entered the bar earlier that evening to gather visual evidence as the public moral squad waited outside for the signal. So I'm uh, reading a lot of this straight out of uh, Wikipedia because I think the people who piled this did a great job. So I'm skipping pieces and paraphrasing some of it, but if you'd like to read the whole thing, that's where, where this is from. So the raid didn't go as planned. Standard procedure was to line up the patrons, check their ID, and have female police officers take customers dressed as women to the bathroom to verify their sex, upon which any men dressed as women would be arrested. Those dressed as women that night refused to go with the officers. Men in line began to refuse to produce their identification. The police decided to take everyone present to the police station. After separating those cross-dressing in a room in the back of the bar, Maria Ritter, then known as male to her family, recalled, My biggest fear was that I would get arrested. My second biggest fear was that my picture would be in a newspaper or on a television report in my mother's dress. Both patrons and police recalled that a sense of discomfort spread very quickly, spurred by police who began to assault some of the lesbians by filling some of them up inappropriately while frisking them. Patrol wagons had not yet arrived to uh, take the alcohol and the arrested individuals, so patrons were required to wait in line for about 15 minutes. Those who were not arrested were released from the front door, but they didn't leave quickly as usual. Instead, they stopped outside, and a crowd began to grow and watch. Within minutes, between 100 and 150 people had congregated outside, some after they were released from inside the Stonewall, and some after noticing the police cars and the crowd, although the police forcefully pushed or kicked some patrons out of the bar. Some customers released by the police performed for the crowd by posing and saluting the police in an exaggerated fashion. The crowd's applause encouraged them further. There was just kind of a feel that night of... Okay, we're sick of this. That started to grow. So when the first patrol wagon arrived, Inspector Pine recalled that the crowd, most of whom were homosexual, had grown to at least 10 times the number of people who were arrested. They all became very quiet. Confusion over the radio communications delayed the arrival of the second wagon. The police began escorting Mafia members into the first wagon to the chairs of the bystanders. Next, regular employees were loaded into the wagon. A bystander shouted, Gay power! Someone began singing, We shall overcome. An officer shoved a transvestite who responded by hitting him on the head with her purse as the crowd began to boo. Author Edmund White, who had been passing by, recalled everyone was restless, angry, and high-spirited. 
No one has a slogan. No one even has an attitude, but something's brewing. Beer bottles were thrown at the wagon as a rumor spread through the crowd that patrons still inside the bar were being beaten. A scuffle broke out when a woman in handcuffs was escorted from the door of the bar to the waiting police wagon several times. She escaped repeatedly and fought with four of the police officers, swearing and shouting for about ten minutes. Described as a typical New York butch and a dyke, stone butch, she had been hit on the head by an officer with a baton for, as one witness claimed, complaining that her handcuffs were too tight. Bystanders recalled that the woman, whose identity remains unknown, uh, sparked the crowd to fight when she looked at bystanders and shouted, Why don't you guys do something? After an officer picked her up and heaved her into the back of the wagon, the crowd became a mob and went berserk. It was at that moment that the scene became explosive. Okay, I get emotional reading this. That statement, why don't you guys do something? I think for a lot of them, they had just been so pushed down by society for so long. It was this kind of feeling of we can't do anything. I I remember experiencing something similar to this when I was called in for a disciplinary council with the, the church. I realized this was after I had decided I was I was leaving, but I got called in for this disciplinary council, and I remember being stressed about it. And but there was this moment where I realized I don't have to go to this. You know, the state president was telling me I need you to come in and talk to me, and I was feeling like this. Oh, I don't want to go talk to him. And all of a sudden, I realized I don't have to. And it was a really powerful moment for me to realize he doesn't have power over me. And while this situation is different, these police officers did have power, there was also a sense of, we can do something about this. I think that, why don't you do something? It was, this woke this up in these people that, oh my gosh, we can do something. So the the crowd just exploded, and the police tried to restrain some of the crowd, knocking a few people down, which incited bystanders even more. Some of those handcuffed in the wagons escaped when police left them unattended. As the crowd tried to overturn the police wagon, two police cars and the wagon, with a few slashed tires, left immediately, with Inspector Pine urging them to return as soon as possible. The commotion attracted more people who learned what was happening. Someone in the crowd declared that the bar had been raided because they didn't pay off the cops, to which someone else yelled, Let's pay them off! Coins sailed through the air towards the police as the crowd shouted, Pigs! and faggot cops. Beer cans were thrown next, and the police lashed out, dispersing some of the crowd who found a construction site nearby with stacks of bricks. The police outnumbered by between 500 and 600 people by this time. Ten police officers, including two police women, barricaded themselves, and several handcuffed detainees inside the Stonewall Inn for their own safety. A bystander, Michael Fader, explained, We all had a collective feeling, like... We'd had enough of this kind of shit. It wasn't anything tangible. Anybody said to anyone else. It was just kind of like everything over the years had come to a head on that one particular night in the one particular place, and it was not an organized demonstration. Everyone in the crowd felt that we were never going to go back. It was like the last straw. It was time to reclaim something that had always been taken from us. 
all kinds of people, all different reasons, but mostly it was total outrage, anger, sorrow, everything combined, and everything just kind of ran its course. It was the police who were doing most of the destruction. We were really trying to get back in and break free, and we felt that we had freedom at last, or freedom to at least show that we demanded freedom. We weren't going to be walking meekly in the night and letting them shove us around. It's like standing your ground for the first time and in a really strong way. And that's what caught the police by surprise. There was something in the air, freedom, a long time overdue, and we're going to fight for it. It took different forms, but the bottom line was we were not going to go away. And we didn't. Another bystander had said, when did you ever see a fag fight back? Now, times were a-changing. Tuesday night was the last night for bullshit. Predominantly, the theme was, this shit has to stop. You know, you oppress people for too long, at some point they're going to rise up. And that's what happened at Stonewall that night. So as the riot continued, garbage cans, garbage, bottles, rocks, and bricks were being hurled at the building where the cops were barricaded inside the, the Stonewall Inn. Breaking the windows, witnesses attest that flame queens... Hustlers and gay street kids, the most outcast people in the gay community, were responsible for the first volley of projectiles, as well as the uprooting of a parking meter used as a battering ram on the door of the Stonewall Inn. Sylvia Rivera said, You've been treating us like shit all these years. Uh-uh. Now it's your turn. It was one of the greatest moments in my life. The mob lit garbage cans on fire and stuffed it through the broken windows as the police grabbed a fire hose. Because it had no water pressure, the hose was ineffective in dispersing the crowd and seemed only to encourage them. When demonstrators broke through the windows, which had been covered by plywood by the bar's owners to deter the police from raiding the bar, the police inside unholstered their pistols. The doors flew open and officers pointed their weapons at the angry crowd, threatening to shoot. The scene escalated when the tactical patrol force arrived. Bob Kohler, who had been walking his dog by Stonewall that night, saw the tactical patrol force arrive. And he said, I had been in enough riots to know the fun was over. The cops were totally humiliated. This never happened. They were angry than I guess they had ever been. Because everybody else had rioted. But the fairies were not supposed to riot. No group had ever forced cops to retreat before. So the anger was just enormous. I mean, they wanted to kill. With larger numbers, police detained anyone they could and put them in the patrol wagons to go to jail. Though, Inspector Pine recalled, fights erupted with the transvestites who wouldn't go into the patrol wagon. His recollection was corroborated by another witness across the street who said, all I could see about who was fighting was that it was transvestites and they were fighting furiously. The tactical patrol force formed a phalanx and attempted to clear the streets by marching slowly and pushing the crowd back. The crowd cheered and started impromptu kick lines and singing tunes. One participant, who had been in the Stonewall during the raid, recalled that the police rushed us, and that's when I realized this is not a good thing to do, because they got me in the back with a nightstick. Another account stated, I just can't even get that one sight out of my mind, the cops with the nightsticks and the kick line on the other side. It was the most amazing thing, and all of a sudden, that kick line which I guess was a spoof on the machismo that the police were demonstrating. I think that's when I felt rage, because people were getting smashed with bats. And for what? A kick line? 
there was a certain beauty in the aftermath of the riot. It was obvious, at least to some, that a lot of people really were gay. And you know, this was our street. Thirteen people had been arrested. Some in the crowd were hospitalized, and four police officers were injured. Almost everything in the Stonewall Inn was broken. Inspector Pine had intended to close and dismantle the Stonewall Inn that night. Payphones, toilets, mirrors, jukeboxes, and cigarette machines were all smashed, possibly in the riot and possibly by the police. Nothing like this had ever happened before from the gay community. And it didn't stop there. There was a second night of rioting. During the siege at Stonewall, the story was picked up by the New York Times, the New York Post, the Daily News, so it spread this information about the riot. And so all day on Saturday, June 28th, people came to stare at the burned and blackened Stonewall Inn. Graffiti appeared on the walls of the bar declaring drag power. They invaded our rights, support gay power, and legalize gay bars. The next night, rioting again surrounded Christopher Street. Remarkable to many was the sudden exhibition of homosexual affection in public. As described by one witness, from going to places where you had to knock on a door and speak to someone through a peephole in order to get in, we were just out. We were in the streets. There, there was a shift in the atmosphere. Gay people weren't, couldn't show any kind of affection in public. It was illegal. But something changed that night. They just said, screw it. We're going to be ourselves. So on Saturday, thousands of people had gathered in front of the Stonewall, which had opened again, choking Christopher Street until the crowd spilled into adjoining blocks. The throng surrounded buses and cars, harassing the occupants until they either admitted they were gay or indicated their support for the demonstration. So there were similar riots that night, but nothing like the first night. And there were a few incidents the following nights, but something had changed. Gay people weren't going to hide anymore. And, and while there's still a long fight ahead for the gay movement, this was a big start. So the next year, they held the Christopher Street Liberation Day on June 28, 1970. And this marked the first anniversary of the Stonewall Riots with an assembly on Christopher Street, with simultaneous gay pride marches in Los Angeles and Chicago. These were the first gay pride marches in U.S. history. The next year, gay pride marches took place in Boston, Dallas, Milwaukee, London, Paris, West Berlin, and Stockholm. And the march in New York covered 51 blocks, from Christopher Street to Central Park. The march took less than half the scheduled time due to the excitement, but also due to wariness about walking through the city with gay banners and signs. So even though there had been a lot of change, there was still fear. And while we've come a long way, there still is fear. And so that's what I wanted to talk about today. Like, this is why we have gay pride. That's why Pride Month is June. It's because of these riots. This is when things changed. You know, I heard a lot of people making comments during Pride with things that were posted online and things that, you know, or why do we need a gay pride? We don't have a straight pride. And there actually now is a, going to be a straight pride in, I believe, Boston, because some straight people feel like they need that. So I want to talk about, like, why isn't there a straight pride? I guess there is now, but why why isn't there straight pride, typically? You know, there's people who fight for it. There's, you can go online and you can find all kinds of um, straight pride t-shirts, and, and there's a whole organization to celebrate straight pride, and so that the LGBT needs to have an S added to it for straight. And while 
yeah, I think that all sexuality is beautiful. Um, why is it that we don't have a straight pride? And somebody, I don't know who it was, made a comment on a post I was looking at that said, someone had made that comment, you know, why don't we have straight pride? And they said, you know, it's the same why reason we don't have soup kitchens for the rich. People aren't oppressed for being straight. Straight people have never had to hide because of their sexual feelings. Their sexual feelings are celebrated. I mean, people are thrilled when, you know, a straight couple get married. It's a big event. Gay people weren't even allowed to show any kind of affection in public as of 1970, 1969. That wasn't that long ago. And the truth is, like, people who I think live in some really diverse and uh, progressive areas don't seem to realize what it's like in other areas. You know, in Utah, for example. And Utah's interesting. I've talked about how Salt Lake is different than Utah County, but Utah County, it it isn't safe feeling. And while I'm not ever worried that someone is going to hurt me, there's definitely a lot of stares, a lot of disapproval of showing affection in public. There are a lot of people who are scared of gay people. There's still, this attitude still exists during Pride, people saying, why do gay people have to flaunt their sexuality in front of us? They make it sound like it's people having sex on the streets okay that's not what gay pride is and the truth is straight people flaunt their sexuality all the time what do you think a wedding is it's a flaunting of your sexuality this is the person that i'm sexually attracted to and i want to marry what do you think holding your you know a man holding his wife's hand in public is it's flaunting their sexuality if that's how you want to look at it But people don't see it that way, because that's not what it is. It's two people showing love for each other. And why shouldn't gay people be able to show that same love for each other and say, you know what, I'm okay with being me. And regardless of what you think about me being me, I can still do that, and I'm going to do that. Unapologetically and authentically. I'm going to live and be myself. And luckily, the world is changing. I attended Salt Lake Pride two weekends ago. So it was the first weekend in June. Um, And there were lots of other Pride festivities going on throughout the country. Um, This was my second Pride. Um, Last year, so 2018, was the first time I went to Pride. And as I said earlier, I was scared of it because it represented something that was was bad. That, you know, I kind of saw it as, based on how people had talked about it, that this was just people, you know, throwing their sexuality in other people's faces. And I thought, you know, why can't they just go and just live their life and not have to bring it to attention. And the reason it needs to be brought to attention is because of the oppression. This That's what pride and the festivals and the parades represent is it's saying we don't have to be oppressed anymore. Um, we can just be us and it's okay. And there's still plenty of young gay kids who are terrified of being themselves. And it's good for them to be able to see, you know, a hundred thousand people lining the streets of Salt Lake saying, hey, we support you. We love you, just as you are. But as I said, I attended Pride in Salt Lake a couple weekends ago, and you know what? It was such a cool experience. And the truth is, there's a major shift that's happened just in the last year. So many supportive people, even down in Utah County where I live, I've seen not a lot, but I've seen a few Pride flags hanging, which you never saw before. 
I think that's a sign that things are changing. People aren't afraid to say, hey, we support you. And gay people aren't afraid to say, hey, this is who I am. And I think it's great to see people coming together and supporting and loving each other. One thing in particular that really moved me in the parade was there's an organization called Mormons Building Bridges. And basically this is active LDS people who who support gay people. And they receive a lot of backlash from a lot of active LDS people. A lot of people see them as apostate. But you know what? Them walking down that street, man, that brought tears to my eyes. It was a whole... And the group, I swear, it was way bigger this year than last year. Huge group of active Mormon people. They were wearing white shirts and ties, you know, dressed in their, their church clothes on Sunday. They missed church to come down to the Pride Parade and say, we love you. Many were holding signs, saying things like, all are like unto God. Jesus said, love everyone, treat them kindly too. Perfect love casteth out all fear. God is love. I will walk with you. Love is spoken here. Just these beautiful statements of, hey, we we love you. And it brought tears to my eyes because I just sat there watching this and less than two years ago my community pushed me out they said that I wasn't wanted anymore and so to see people from that same community saying hey we we love you that meant a lot and I've said before I don't I don't think I would ever go back to Mormonism um, even if things change, but man, it, I still feel a deep connection to Mormonism. It's what I know, it's how I was raised, it's part of my community, part of my culture, part of my, my ancestry, it's part of me. And so it felt good to just see people that would say that I'm, I'm still wanted and that, that I'm loved. And I know that there has to be you know, gay kids who see that and there are going to be some kids who are not going to commit suicide because of that. So all you people who sit there and say, you know, Mormons building bridges, they're apostates that are evil and wrong and they're going to hell, stop and listen to yourself. You say you believe in Christ. Do you know anything about what Christ taught? Regardless, if you feel that what you know gay people do is right or wrong, that does not give you an excuse to hate. And those people are being more Christ-like by missing church and going down there and marching that parade than any of those people who were sitting there singing their hymns and taking the sacrament. God's okay with it. At the end of Pride, that statement, God is okay with it, another thing that kind of brought tears to my eyes is at the end of Sunday after the parade, a storm rolled in and I was sitting on my back porch with my partner and we looked over and there was a rainbow and from other place in the valley you could see the full rainbow it was a two a double rainbow we don't get rainbows a lot in utah we don't get a lot of rain it's been a really wet year so for that to be there at the end uh, i mean it was like five or six o'clock on pride sunday just at the end of pride weekend you know to me the rainbow took on a new a new meaning 
as far as from a religious perspective. You know, we're taught from the Bible that the rainbow was how God, it's him saying that he'll never flood the earth like he did during Noah's time. But, you know, to me it was him saying, you know what? I support this, and I got you, and you're wanted. And that was really powerful. So, Pride was a great experience. If you haven't been, I highly recommend go. Again, if you're in Utah, we actually have another Pride coming up in September. There's Provo Pride, which needs support. Provo Pride is a small small event, and they could really use participation and support. So, um, come, support it. Go to, or go to Salt Lake next year, or go to the Pride event in your, your area. And show that that support. It makes a difference. I, I promise you that. It's made a difference for me. And I know that there are young kids who it makes a big enough difference that they are going to still be around, having not killed themselves because of these events. And so to all you people who say, you know, why do we need a pride event? Why do, why do gay people need pride? Because for so long we lived in shame, and many still do. We need to be proud of ourselves and okay with ourselves. Straight people don't have to feel that same shame. Their lives and who they are is accepted um, without question. So I just wanted to share my thoughts there with you about pride. So please let me know your thoughts. As I said, you can reach me at rainbowmormon at gmail.com. You can... Uh, like us on Facebook, please, please, please like us on Facebook. I just get a kick out of how many how many likes and followers I have on Facebook. So at Rainbow Mormon Podcast. And thanks for listening. As I said, my name is Danny Caldwell, and this has been Rainbow Mormon Podcast. So until next time, remember to be brave, love yourself, be happy, love who you love, and just be you.